Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Let's read together. In the beginning. Stop, stop right there. We'll go ahead and stop. That's a lot of Bible reading. Thanks for standing through all of that. Here, bear with me. We'll do one more. John chapter 1, verse 1. Say it together. In the beginning. Woo, that's a lot of Bible this morning. Okay, let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you because everything that you start, you finish. And that doesn't just mean the whole universe, it means every single one of our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. You may be seated. You, didn't, you thought I didn't do any sermon prep this morning, right? You thought, oh, Pastor Michael, he got busy with the Christmas program, and he's going to stand up there, just kind of open the Bible to the beginning, and just kind of riff, you know, and, and you, know, pass, you know, his dad's going to think, oh, he didn't do his homework. No, 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 this is, not at all. I have an awesome word for all of us from the Holy Spirit this morning. But it's just that, a word, a single word. But I'm going to make you wait for that for a second because what I want to do first is I want to tell you something about God that no one else has ever told you about God before. It is something that you need to know. God is a supreme, almighty nerd. It's true. God is a geek. And all of the geeks, just like me, said... Thank you. So this morning, we are going to take the red pill, and we are going to discover how deep the rabbit hole of God's super geekness really goes. Is it too early for a Matrix reference? I'm going to be Morpheus. You are all the chosen ones of Zion, and we're going to hack some codes this morning. You didn't know that one of the qualities of God is his ultimate geekiness, did you? You didn't know that. It's in there. It's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, uber-geekiant. You're not taking me seriously. I know I'm going to have to back this up with God's word. Every word, every event, everything that is and has been created has been created with careful thought and planning and layer upon layer of mystery. And when all those layers are pulled back, it reveals God. It reveals the character of the one who planned it from the beginning. Two books of the Bible open up with the words, in the beginning. In the first book of Genesis and in another book, the Gospel of John. So, you know, was the, uh, the apostle John suffering from writer's block? Was he like, oh man, I got to start my gospel. What do I do? The expectations. I just can't. I can't even. Ah, what do I write? A dark and stormy night. No, no. Um, Long time ago in a galaxy far away. No, no, that'll never work. Um, It was the best of times, the worst of times. Ah, this is garbage. Let me see. What did Moses do with Genesis? Flip, flip, flip. In the beginning. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think I'll try. Was he plagiarizing Moses? No, he wasn't plagiarizing Moses. They both start with this phrase because there is something that John is pointing back to. John is giving us the cipher. He's giving us the code, the key to unlock this phrase in the very first book of the Bible. Both of these books begin with a beginning. Well, that's very helpful. Uh, But we know that God has always been. God has neither a beginning or an end. So the beginning that Moses and John are talking about is our beginning, It's the beginning of creation, of the earth, of people. They're not talking about God's beginning or Jesus' birth. Because in John chapter 1, he says explicitly, in the beginning, the word 
already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. John and Moses, come on, give him praise this morning, right? So... So John and Moses, they're talking about this same beginning, the same God. In the beginning, it's three words in English, but in Hebrew, it's actually just one word, Bereshith. Everyone turn to your neighbor and say, Bereshith. Oh, yeah, it's going to get ancient Hebrew up in here this morning. All right. You see, ancient Hebrew began as a pictograph language. And this is an important concept to understand because it's different from our English alphabet. Because every letter in Hebrew also has its own symbolic meaning. So not only do Hebrews, Hebrew letters make up Hebrew words, but each letter itself has a unique meaning unto itself. So what you wind up with is a very poetic language with layers and layers of meaning. And Bereshith starts with the first uh, letter. The first letter of this word is the letter Bet. And that letter is symbolic of the word house, as in Bethlehem, the house of bread, right? The next letter of this first word in Genesis is resh. And that means the firstborn or the highest, the head or the leader. And the next letter in the word is aleph, meaning God, the highest. And the next letter is sheen. And this letter looks like teeth, right, poking up. And it means to consume or to destroy. And the next letter is the yod. It is the 10th letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it kind of looks like a hand. It means the works and the deeds. And the next is Tav. It is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet and the last letter of the first word in the Bible. And it means the covenant mark, the seal of completion. And this is the letter that Jesus is talking about in Revelation chapter 22 when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Pastor was just talking about this last week when Jesus visits John, the apostle. And he's saying, of course, when it's translated to Greek, he's saying they say Alpha and Omega because Omega is the last letter, you know, of the Greek alphabet. But these are two Jewish men speaking. He's saying, I am the Aleph and the Tav. And Tav is not just the end. He's the final letter of the final word. The nerdiness is strong with this one. Brace yourself. This is about to get good because we're pulling the final ribbon off of this Christmas present. Remember when I told you that the Holy Spirit has a word for us today? Yes, and that word is Bereshith. And if you just take the first two letters together, the Bet and Bereshith, you have a word, that word is Bar. It is the Hebrew word that means son. Remember when Jesus said Simon Bar-Jonah? He was saying Simon, the son of Jonah. Or when Isaiah said, for unto us a son is given. It's this word, bar. Now if we put just the meanings of the letters of the first word in the Bible together and we sound that out, what we have here is a statement. The son of God the highest, consumes and destroys the works and the deeds through his covenant mark, the seal of completion. 
And people, that's just the first word in the Bible, the very beginning, the truth of the gospel in the first word. Gabriel said to Mary that Jesus would be called the son of the most high. And in 1 John chapter 3, he says, the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, the only begotten son of God, is the one who gave his body as the seal of covenant. And in Revelation, he is called the lamb, slain from the beginning of the world. He came to destroy the works of Satan and all the sinful deeds of men through the marks of his covenant, which he bore in his body on the cross. It was on the cross that that seal of completion was made when he said, it is finished. In Psalm chapter 33, it says, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. God literally gives away the whole story in the first word. You know, if you want to know the end of a story, most of the time, well, no, actually all the time, you flip to the last page of the book, right? So if you're anything like my wife who picks up the new book in the bookstore, she'll flip to the last page. I'm totally telling on you right now, honey. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, babe, that you're cheating. And she's like, but I want to know, you know, if the ending is good. I don't want to waste my time if it's not. And, you know, so when it gets all problematic in the middle, you know, I can relax because I know the end is good. <laughs> There's a lot of guilty laughter. I think we got a lot of back of the book readers here this morning. God does not even preface this with spoiler alert. No, he gives away the entire plan before you even get to the second word. You cannot hide from his plan. He wants you to find out before the story even begins. He's like, hey, hey, over here. Look, before we get any further in the story, I want you to know I win. I'm totally victorious. Because, look, the parts in the middle, they're going to get a little strange. It's going to get a little wonky. You're probably going to get nervous and wonder what's going on. I just want you to know right now, you can relax because I win. And he does, come on, give him praise this morning. He's not going to make you wait to see what the end's going to be. No, he gives it away right at the beginning. He says, I myself will destroy all sin. And here's the beauty of it all. We look at this manger and the silent night, holy night, and and we see the promise of God coming to us. The hopes and the fears of all the years met in Christmas tonight. And we can see it for what it is. It's a beginning. And God saw it that way too. But it's not merely the beginning. It is the beginning of the end. In Revelation 22, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in Isaiah 41, he says, Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. And in verse 6, he says, I am the first and I am the last. And there is no God besides me. And in Revelation chapter 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You see, God is repetitive, and and I love that about him because I need it. 
Because a lot of times, you know what, we forget the things that we ought to remember and, and we waste a lot of time remembering things that we ought to forget. You see, God is repetitive about this and he's chosen every word in the Bible for a reason. And he says it over and over again. I am the beginning. I am the end. He doesn't say, I'm the beginning or I'm the end. He says, and. And he doesn't say, I was the beginning and I, I will be the end. He says, I am. I am presently the beginning. I am presently the end. Revelation 13 describes Jesus as the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. God is never winging it. Nope, in his infinite nerdiness, before time, he even created time itself or the earth or a man or any of it. He made a plan. He saw what would happen and he made a decision. Before Adam was created, Jesus was already the lamb slain. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, don't begin until you count the cost. Powerful words coming from the one who would pay the ultimate price for us all, right? He's saying, don't start until you have a plan. Anticipate the cost so you know if you can pay for it before you ever start the project. I'm talking to all the single men this morning. (laughs) Am I right or am I right, guys? Ladies said... You better know if you can pay for the plan before you start one up. Can I get an amen? Because you need to finish. I don't know why I went there, but that was some, for somebody this morning. He didn't start something that he couldn't finish. Before he began his creation, he paid the cost. He is the lamb that was slain. And, you know, sometimes it's a difficult thing to wrap our heads around because you and I, we live in time, and it's all that we've ever known. We're we're linear thinkers. First, this happens, and then this happened, and then this happened. This is happening, and this will happen. But you have to understand that God does not live in time. He is not a linear God. There is nothing that has happened or what is happening or that will ever happen that he's not already there in it. You can never throw God a surprise birthday party. You will never be able to jump out from behind the furniture and go, surprise, happy birthday, God. Nope. And you will never hear God say, oh, man, well, I didn't see that one coming. Because before the first drop of water touched the earth, before the first ray from the sun warmed the first blade of grass, Jesus was already the sacrifice for our sins. It was over before it ever began. Give him praise this morning. Jesus was never a victim. He was never in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was never a casualty. His life had been threatened multiple times. Herod tried to kill him as a baby, but he escaped. The Jews tried to stone him and tried to throw him off of a cliff. But you remember he miraculously walked through the crowd without being harmed. But yet when it was time for the sacrifice to be given and when he was falsely accused, he submitted himself willingly to be the sacrifice for our sins. And although he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world... Jesus still had to walk out that process. And in Matthew, when Jesus 
comes to his cousin John to be baptized. John says in Matthew chapter 3, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. You see, Jesus isn't disagreeing with John. He's not like, no, no, cousin, look, you're good. I mean, yeah, of course you can baptize me. No, John is right. The roles are reversed. But Jesus is constraining himself to walk out the process. He is already the lamb slain, but he has to walk out the process. And so he did. And as the lamb that was slain, Emmanuel, God with us, he fulfilled every prophecy. And so it was over before it ever started. It was finished before it began. Because God is a finisher. You know, something else that you'll never hear God say is, man, I just didn't have the time to get around to that. You will never hear God say, well, yeah, I started, but I ran out of time. I couldn't finish that. Nope. Jesus says, it is finished on the cross. It's done. You cannot upgrade your salvation by doing anything. There's no sacrifice. There's no change. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of service or giving that you could do to increase your salvation. You cannot add one thing to it because it's already done and it's perfect. And see, what we're doing here today, coming to church, serving God, singing, paying our tithes and our offerings, learning more about who he is, it's not so that we can receive salvation or so that we could be redeemed. It's because we already are. And now everything that we do in our lives is a response to that truth of what he has done for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. It says we are seated. We are united with Christ Jesus. Present progressive verb. It's used when something is happening right now. With Christ in heavenly places. You see... In the temple, can I just get a little nerdy here again for, with you for a second? In the Old Testament, in the temple, when the priest of God was in the presence of the Shekinah glory of God in the temple, he was not allowed to sit down because sitting means resting. It means that the work is done. It's finished, right? But in Matthew, Jesus describes himself as the son of man sitting at the right hand of the father because the atonement, the price for our sins is paid. And we are seated with him in heavenly places because because we repented and that blood of Jesus was applied to us. We've been made clean. It's a done deal. You can stop working so hard to earn God's love because you are clean. Rest in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because it is finished. It is over. And here's the other beautiful part. Satan knows. He doesn't have a hope that he can win. Just as Jesus is victorious, Satan is defeated. It's a foregone conclusion. And Satan doesn't really think that he's going to win against God. No, his defeat has been decided by the Almighty. He just wants to try to take as many as he can with him. Why? Because the way that you get at a parent, is by hurting the kids, isn't it? 
God created each one of us with the same divine nerdiness that he created all things. Layers and layers of forethought and planning and purpose and mystery. You are here today, not because of a biological event, but because everything about you was planned before the first second ticked by. Everything about your life has already happened in the presence of God. Everything that you need is available to you. He will complete what he has started, and he is not done achieving victory in your life. What is it that you think that you need more of? More joy, more peace, more strength or love or fulfillment or purpose or wisdom or understanding or patience. It is done. He has finished it. Everything that you are waiting for has already been accomplished because he's a finisher. Jesus is the finisher. Jesus ended the power of Satan to hold you captive. Jesus brought an end to the addictions and the controlling sins in your life. Jesus ends things. I said, Jesus, he ends it. Jesus will one day reveal himself as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and end all the wars on this planet. And whatever conflicts are going on in your mind or in your marriage or in your relationships, Jesus is going to end them all. Philippians chapter 1. And I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, well, there's this Bereshith, and it's about Jesus, and he's planned from the beginning of the world. He's the lamb slain. And it, yeah, it's totally planned from the beginning because it's Jesus. Yeah, what I'm trying to get you to wrap your head around this morning is that your life also was planned by God. You are his idea. In Psalm 139, David starts to get it. It starts to click. And he says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. The end has already been written. Your life is complete in God. Your greatest victories are ahead of you. What he started in you, he will complete. Who am I talking to this morning? No weapon formed against you will prosper because Jesus is a finisher. And he will bring a conclusion to every problem that you face. So let's celebrate Christmas, all right? And what's interesting, you know, about Christmas is the beginning, the fulfillment of the prophecy, that first moment when God becomes flesh and dwells among us. But you know, the word Christmas, it comes from two words, Christ and the word mass. It's a mashup of those two words. It's, it's Christ's mass. And a mass is a term used to describe Eucharist or, you know, what we call communion, Remembering the cross, the sacrifice of Jesus that was paid for the sins of the world. So even the word Christmas, it's about the cross. It's about the end. And Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I, I don't have time this morning to, to explore this. But that whole concept of him from the beginning, that Aleph and the Tav, I am the first and the last, 
the Aleph, the first letter, the Tav, the end, the, the final letter. When you read the book of Genesis, if you have an interlinear Bible, right next to the word Elohim, in that sentence, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, there's a word right next to Elohim. It's untranslatable, it's untranslated. It's two letters. Guess what those two letters are? The Aleph and the Tav. The beginning and the end. You know, Jesus never commanded us to remember his birthday. Nowhere in the word of God does he say, hey, 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 don't forget my birthday. But when he gives the bread and the wine to his disciples and he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take, eat it. This is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a command not to remember his birth to remember his death. He doesn't ask us to focus on the beginning. He wants us to remember the end. And and it says in Revelation, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his hand on me and he said, do not be afraid because I am the first and I am the last. And God says, don't be afraid. And maybe you're thinking, God, why not? Have you seen what's going on? He says, because I am. I am the first. I am the last. And when the middle gets scary, I want you to remember, I am the ending. I finish this. I started it. I'm going to finish it. Don't forget that. Everything that you are waiting for, everything that you've been hoping for is finished. It's already done. So now you and I, we get this unique opportunity to live our lives already knowing what the last page says. We can live it backwards from that moment, knowing the end from the beginning. That was the way that God has always planned it because he gave it away in the first word of the Bible. It's over. It's done. And Jesus says, whoever believes in me will not die, but will have everlasting life. So one day, somewhere there's going to be a tombstone, and it's going to say, it's going to say Michael David Ciociola, born September 7, 1972. And it's going to have a dash, and it's going to have another date on it. But let me tell you something, that is not the end date. That is just a lie, because that second date, that second date on the tombstone is just the day that I finished my mission here. But it is not my end. Because I believe in him, I will never die. John chapter 11, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. I believe in Jesus Christ. I will have no end. He is the beginning of my story. He is the beginning of my story. And he is the end of my story. He is the author of and the finisher of everything that I am. And so this Christmas, I want to ask you a question. Do you know the end of your story? I'd like to ask if everyone would just close your eyes and bow your head in a moment of prayer here this morning on Christmas Eve. Do you know the end of your story? You see, one of the other things that was revealed to John, he said, I I saw the great throne of God. And he said, the books were open. The book of your life is going to be opened again. 
And all of the moments and all of the stories of your life is going to be reread and revisited by God. He's going to be looking over your story again. And it says, whoever, whoever's name did not appear in the Lamb's book of life was cast into a lake of fire with Satan and his angels. But whoever's name did appear in the Lamb's book entered into the joys of heaven with God forever. Do you know the end of your story? You can know. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder or doubt anymore. You can know the end from the beginning. And as though the book of your life is opened before his throne, and all the moments are examined, this moment, this morning, is going to be one of those moments. If you would like to know for sure how your story ends, would you lift your hand? I'm not wanting to embarrass anyone this morning. I want to pray with you so that you can know with confidence the end of your story. Is there anyone here this morning that would like to know Help me out. I see somebody pointing, but I don't see the hand. Yes, I see, I see you, sir. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning? You can know. You can know the end from the beginning. I see. Thank you. Let's pray together. Father, you know the story of my life. Every moment was written from the beginning. And now at this moment, I'm giving you the pen. I want you to write the end of my story. I've been trying to make some stuff up and it doesn't work. I want you to be the finisher. Be the author of my life. Take away all of my sins. Give me your eternal life. Jesus' name.